My name is Pastor Tim McNamee. I'm the lead missionary at Blue Tassel Farm, literally 27 minutes from your church. We're right down the road from you guys, and you're welcome to come anytime. Uh, in two weeks, we have a group coming of inner city kids from Indianapolis, and they'll be staying for the weekend. We have a church, one of our partner churches in North Vernon, who will be coming and setting up an entire time of worship. When the kids wake up on Sunday morning, they'll walk into a worship service in the woods where we praise the Lord, and then they'll get to go fishing and paddle boating and riding horses and all that good stuff. So that's what we do. We work with women rescued from sex trafficking. We work with uh, prostitutes. We work with the homeless. Uh, Primarily, we're looking for kids that don't have dads. That's our primary thing that we do. We've got a gun range. We've got bow and arrows, tomahawks, horses. We've got 50 animals that they get to interact with, fetch their own eggs for breakfast every week and uh, every time that we have them out. The only thing that hasn't worked... Pardon me. The only thing that hasn't worked so far is I take them to the chicken yard and I say, who likes chicken nuggets? And they all say, yeah. And I say, you see those chickens? They don't lay nuggets. They've got to give their life for you to have a nugget. Now, who wants to pick out a chicken for dinner? And they're like, no. So I think I have depleted McDonald's uh, McNugget situation but we are just we're so honored you guys uh, faithfully support us Tracy and I have known each other for a long time uh, went to Hauser High School together and I was in class of 82 I think he was 81 with my brother and Tracy was also very influential in my decision to give my life to Jesus Christ there's some things that you're going to hear today and I want you to take note and a couple of them are right here I was born in 1963 I want you to remember that I was saved in 1983 I was ministered to by a guy named Tracy McIntyre and my brother who became Christians in high school and were part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and they kept trying to get me to live right and do right and I didn't want to do any of that you know what I told them I said there's too many rules I grew up in church my whole life at Hope First Baptist Church grew up in Clifford Indiana not far from here so there's too many rules and I remember Tracy saying to me specifically it's not about rules it's about opportunity The word of God is not about keeping you down. It's about lifting you up. It's not about putting you in bondage. It's about setting you free to do the things that God has called you to do and made you to do. And of course, I had a great mama who kept us all in church our whole lives. Every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, Baptist Youth Fellowship. Of course, we went to to meet girls, but, you know, we found Jesus eventually. So if the girls would just get out of the way, we could find Jesus a lot easier. Get an amen from all the guys. The girls could just, all right. But I'm here to preach the word of God today because that's what Tracy asked me to do. And again, I'm honored to be here. I want you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to go to chapter 5. And I want you to find verse 26. I want to share some things with you today. The title of the message is this. They're going to put it up on the screen. It's called The Catch. The Catch. And there's two ways that you can look at this word. You can look at it as in the catch, the one that we all know about in the Bible. Or you can look at it as, what's the catch? See, when Tracy was trying to minister to me in high school, I'm like, what's the catch? What do I got to do to get all these things that you say that God has for me? But there is no catch. It's all about the catch, making us fishers of men. So I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verse 26, and hold your place there. See, amazing and true things happen in our world every single day. Every single day. Ripley's, believe it or not, may be redundant to some of us older folks, but it continues to astound and amaze generation after generation. They all go to Ripley's, generation after generation. Let me tell you some of the true things, strange but true things that happen. 
Sometime during the 1930s, a Detroit man happened to be walking down the street when suddenly, this is a true story, suddenly a baby had fallen out of a window above him and fell on him, directly on top of him. A year later, the same man was walking down the same street when the very same baby fell from the very same window and landed on top of him. Strange, but true. Now listen to this. In 1975, a man was riding a a moped down the streets of Bermuda, as those Bermudans awfully do, and he was killed when a taxi driver suddenly ran into him. Now listen to this. The year before, that man's brother... Strange but true, listen, that man's brother, when he was riding the very same moped down the very same street, he was hit by the very same taxi driver who was carrying the very same customer. That's just creepy. Strange but true. Now listen to this one. Brothers seem to have a knack for uh, coincidental events, right? In 1979, two identical twin boys who'd been adopted by two different families, were reunited for the first time in their lives at age 40. Both boys had been named James. Both had a background in law enforcement. Both men married women named Linda. I'm telling you, this is all true. With whom they had sons which they named James. One of their middle names was Alan, spelled with one L. The other's middle name was Alan, spelled with two L's. Both had divorced their respective wives, Linda's, to marry women named Betty. They didn't know each other, haven't met each other yet. Both had dogs they named Toy. But what may be most amazing about this entire story, both men vacationed at the same stretch of beach in St. Peter's, Florida, every year, often at the very same time, and had never, ever run into each other. Identical twins. Strange, but true. But listen to me today, people of God. Ripley didn't invent strange. God did. And then he gave it to Jesus to play with. Let me prove it to you. Look at that verse. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. God invented strange for our benefit. He gave it to Jesus to play with so that he could show us strange and amazing things because we don't just serve a God of of uh, brick or mortar or wood. We serve a God of the amazing, the strange but the true. How many people have ever had something strange but true happen in your life? I have. I want you to remember some of these things. Like I was born in 63. I got saved in 83. Two things happened to me when I was a freshman in high school. I was playing basketball, and as I recall the story, I was up by the rim getting ready to dunk. That's how I remember it. But I was way up there. That's all I remember. And my legs got cut up from underneath me by one of the other players, and I came down and hit my head on a concrete floor, and I've got a scar right there. I want you to remember scars. And it took most of my vision, and today I'm legally blind. My wife is legally blind. We met at the College for the Blind in Little Rock, Arkansas. We bumped into each other. Can I get an amen? All right, so... But you know what she said to me? I can't go out with you. Now, me like Tracy, Tracy remembers this. We weren't used to girls telling us no, right? So, you know, back in the day, back in the day. So I couldn't believe that she turned me down. She kept saying, we're unequally yoked. And I said, I don't want to have breakfast. I just want to go out. You know, and she said, no, we're unequally yoked. I'm a believer. You're not. I can't go out with you. I will go to church with you. So I started going to church with this fine girl just so I could be with her. Just like, just like back in the day. Went to church to be with a girl. But one day I gave my life to Jesus Christ. 
at that church that she took me to. And then she started dating me and six months later we got married and that was 36 years ago. Amen. So I lost most of my vision. And then this ne- the same thing or the next thing that I want you to remember is this. That very same year, I decided to go on a joyride with one of my friends in his dad's truck. We were both 15, didn't have licenses, but his dad wasn't home. We jumped in his pickup truck and started driving around Schaefer Lake and all those curves out near Hope. One curve was too sharp and we didn't make it. The truck flipped three times and landed in the lake and we jumped out and we swam to shore. Not a scratch on us. I want you to remember that. We thought we got away with it. But there was a carpenter across the lake on a roof doing a job and he saw it all and reported this. How many know there's a carpenter in your life that sees it all and his name is Jesus Christ? You're not getting away with nothing, all right? He'll take you through some strange but true things, but I want you to remember that. See, listen, this was a day. This miracle, this strange thing that happened, the catch that happened to these disciples, this was not just another day. It was different. It was normal becoming abnormal. Natural was replaced by the supernatural. Adrenaline was the rush. Adrenaline was running through their veins from what they had had witnessed and what they had seen. Strange but true things. Not only were they amazed and I believe probably prostrate before the Lord, but they were genuinely scared. I mean, genuine fear. There's uh, two words for fear in the Bible. Actually, there's more, but the two we're going to talk about today. And one of them is called Yahweh fear. And Yahweh fear, the Greek word is Yahweh, and it means to have awe and respect of God. Didn't you feel that while we were worshiping? Weren't you just in awe of God from the words that we were seeing on the screens? That's Yahweh fear it's a good fear and then there's phobos fear and phobos fear is when you're really scared i mean really scared says they were exceedingly fearful i remember uh when i was a little boy that same brother gary and my older brother steve who lives here in columbus oftentimes my mom and dad would go to north vernon and play cards with my aunt and uncle and they would leave us at home with somebody in charge so steve and gary being the older brothers they were in charge but it was a friday night and on friday night as many of you guys know here there's this program that comes on late called sammy terry (laughs) right remember that well sammy terry scared the daylights out of me i had phobos fear of sammy terry I was just a little guy, maybe eight or nine years old, and I'd just gotten a BB gun for my birthday, and Dad said, never have that loaded in the house, just out back. I'm like, yes, sir, Dad. I had my holster on like Barney Fife. I was loaded, ready to go, and Sammy Terry came on, and my brothers took me in the living room, pinned me down, pulled my eyelids open, and here comes Sammy Terry. (laughs) And George the spider. George freaked me out. I don't like spiders to this day because of George. But they made me watch it. They were torturing me. But they let my right hand get loose. And I reached around to my holster. And I grabbed my pistol. And I got it up. And I shot Tammy, Sammy Terry right in the face. Put a little nick in our big old fat tube TV. The picture was gone. My brothers dropped me in a minute. Their eyes got real big because they knew they were going to be in trouble. They're like, you shot your gun in the house. I'm like, it don't matter. You guys made me watch Sammy Terry. Dad's going to kill you. It was real fear for me. There's things that we become really fearful of. And in the, in the past, I've, I've taught about that Yahweh fear, that, that fear of God, which I love. 
I love to honor God and respect him, especially in worship. I love to honor God and respect him when he gives me the opportunity to preach his word. This is no small thing to stand in a pulpit. I've been on the road for two months solid preaching the gospel all over the state of Indiana. Last night I did a benefit concert in Noblesville, Indiana for kids in need up there. And I want to tell you something. Every time I step in a pulpit, grab my guitar, it's an opportunity to serve God. And that's what it is. And we need to respect that and show God all the respect that we can during that. So this Yahweh fear is real and it will serve you in, in life. But these disciples weren't having Yahweh fear. They were having Phobos fear. See, the use of this word means to be exceedingly afraid. Not just a little scared, but to be filled with fear. I'm talking about a Barney Fife and a haunted house kind of fear. You know what I'm talking about? That's real fear. Shaking kind of fear. And there are two questions that I want us to answer today. The first one, well, I'll help you with that. The second one you're going to have to answer. So there's two things I'd like to talk about. Number one, what were they so afraid of? What were they so afraid of? First, let me say, praising God is not a bad response when you're afraid. That's what they did. They praised God. So kudos to the disciples. They did the right thing by praising God. But to find the answers, we need to journey back. And we're going to look at verse 4. Strange but true things happen when you're in a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How could it be any other way? He's no monotone God. He's a miracle working God. We should be expecting to see the unusual, strange, but true things happening in our lives. See, now the boys have been out fishing. You know this story. And you probably heard Tracy preach it a few times. But I want to tell you something. I think I've got something today that maybe you didn't see. Because I know I didn't until God showed me. They've been out fishing all morning. Not even a fish story to tell. Now we have a beautiful lake at our farm and it is full of fish. I'm pretty sure that's where Jesus walked on water. The fish are so thick. But the point is, I want so many fish in there that every kid that ever comes out catches a fish. And I've been doing this for five years now. I'm 100% every kid's caught a fish. Multiple ones usually. So they've been out fishing all morning. Jesus comes up and says, I need a pulpit to teach from. So they push him out into the boat just a few yards away from the shore, not sure of what they taught, he taught on, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't faith. If it was, the disciples missed the message completely. Don't miss the message today. Jesus says, push me out so that I can preach. Now look what it says in verse 4 of Luke chapter 5. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. And here's a big word, underlined it. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know what? Sometimes in your life, even when you don't understand what's going on, you need to say to Jesus, I don't get this, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down my net. At your word. Remember the time when the disciples were walking with Jesus? And this is in John chapter 6. I call it the devil's verse, and you're going to have to forgive me for a second until you understand. But if you look at John chapter 6, verse 66, it's the only place in the New Testament where you'll find 666. And many of Jesus' disciples were walking with him. There was about 70 to 80 at that time. And they're walking with Jesus, and Jesus begins to talk about how one day you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they started murmuring amongst themselves and they said, who can understand what this man is saying? And listen to me, in chapter 6, verse 66, in the Gospel of John, it says this, on that day, because of their confusion, listen to me, on that day, 
they turned and walked with Jesus no longer. Just because they didn't quite understand this strange but true thing that Jesus was saying. You can look it up for yourself. On that day, they turned and walked away from the Savior who they'd seen do miracles. It says they turned and walked with him never again. It doesn't say they ran back to him when they came to their senses. Maybe they did, but we don't know that. All we know is that it says on that day they turned and walked with him no longer. And see, when we get to a place in our Christianity, when we have to understand everything that Jesus asked us to do, you're going to be in trouble. Sometimes you're going to have to say, Jesus, that don't make any sense. But nevertheless, because you're Jesus, I'll let down my nets. Nevertheless, because you're Jesus, I'll let down my guard a little bit. I'll stop being so harsh. Nevertheless, because of your word, I will let down my net. Look what it says in verse 6. It says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so that they both began to sink. Now that's strange but true. I'm a fisherman. I don't know if you are, but that ain't right. That ain't right. That's strange. How do I know they missed it if he was talking about faith? Here's how. In in verse 8 through 10, look what it says. It says this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for men. Now, there's something really cool in this little passage. I've been preaching for 33 years, and I just saw this a few years ago. I've read the Bible four times all the way through. I just saw this a few years ago, and it astonished me. Now listen, in Jesus' sixth miracle, early in his ministry, his first five, while impressive, did not have the same impact of his first of his three fish miracles. And there's a reason why, let me explain. In his first miracle, he turned water into wine. But his disciples were not vineyard owners, so they were impressed, yes, but scary, no. In his second miracle was the healing of the nobleman's son. He simply told the man, your son is healed. Do not visit him or touch him. Impressive, right? But not scary to these rugged fishermen. In the next three miracles, he would cast out a demon, heal the sick in multitudes. All very impressive. But none brought these seasoned fishermen to fear until the catch. Somehow, they could accept and even process these other miracles with a yare kind of fear in awe of God. Yeah, Jesus, do it, man. That's awesome. But they weren't scared. But these men knew one thing, and they knew it well, and it was fishing. It was their livelihood. It was their community's livelihood. Everybody depended on the fishermen in those days to make sure there were fish at the market. Nobody knew fishing like these anglers did. They knew it. They knew it well. They knew what time to go. They knew what time not to go. They knew where to throw their nets. They knew how how much their nets could hold. 
First there's Simon, who is more than a little skeptical in verse 5. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Simon, a pro angler himself, an expert at the craft, must have been thinking, who does this guy think he is? You ever been that way, like people come and tell you your business? People come and tell you what you've been doing for 30 years? They must have been thinking, who does this guy think he is? I know he's Jesus. I know he's done all these miracles, but I'm a fisherman. I'm a real fisherman. But even Simon understood the power and the presence of God with him. And he said, but nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. You know what he just said? I'll let it down for you, but nobody else. And we need to develop an attitude in our lives where we do things for Jesus, not for other people. See, I'm not a people pleaser. I never have been a people pleaser. The gospel is not something to be candy coated. The gospel is something that is impacting, is powerful, and it needs to be delivered so that people feel the power and the presence of God through his word. Because listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, the word of God is powerful in and of itself to save souls. Don't need no preacher. Don't need an evangelist or a missionary. The word of God is powerful in and of itself to change lives. When I started a church 33 years ago, I was set in the airport with a man and he began to tell me, and I asked him questions because I knew he'd been doing ministry for a long time. I said, what do I need to do to be successful when I start this church? He said, two things you need to learn. Number one, the people you help the most will hurt you the most. That man was right. And he said, as a pastor, if you can't handle people coming and going, you should not be a pastor because that's going to happen. That thing right there takes out more pastors than anything else. Instead of just saying, God, you called me here. It doesn't matter who comes or goes. It matters that I stand here and I stay here until you tell me to leave. And I'm not going to stress about it. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to do what you told me to do. So he says, but nevertheless, they were astonished, it says, at the catch. And he fell at Jesus' feet crying, unworthy. Unworthy. Now here's my favorite part of the story. Simon, expert fisherman, didn't cry unworthy at the turning of water to wine. He didn't do that. He didn't fall crying unworthy when Jesus cast out a demon. He didn't do that. Didn't cry unworthy when Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Maybe he didn't want his mother-in-law healed. I don't know. But he didn't cry unworthy. Even though it was a miracle. He cried unworthy only one time and that was at the catch. That was at the catch when he saw something happening in the fishing industry that he had never seen before, could never begin to comprehend. It was impossible, except for Jesus. Let me make my point a little further. How many know sometimes Jesus needs to hit you where you live to get your attention? Amen? Right? So this is so cool. I don't want you to miss it. Verse 9. Man, this just hit me like a brick wall said, for he and all, everybody say all, all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. Now listen to this. And so also were astonished James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Now here's where it gets cool. We said the word all, so all were astonished. That all included James and John. So why did in the next verse he separate out James and John and say, and so also were astonished, James and John. Now listen to me. James and John were included in the all, and then he singled them out from the all. Why did he do that? 
Here's why. They were fishermen. They were Simon's partner, it says. They were in amazement. Their amazement itself, for James and John to be amazed, for Peter to be amazed, was a sign to everybody else that this is a miracle. And he separates them out to bring them back in so that people can look and say, even James and John are astonished. James and John are the greatest fishermen of our time. And even they are astonished. They were already included in the all. Why did he separate them out? He wanted to make a point that no matter who you are, I have a miracle for you. And if they could get the validation of men like James and John and Peter, then they knew that this was a miracle beyond miracles. I believe there are people here even today that God is trying to validate a miracle for you. You need a miracle. I heard some prayer requests for miracles. And God's trying to validate a miracle in your life. But fear sometimes keeps us bound. That Yahweh fear is not what we're operating at when we're scared. When we're not sure. I work with people on a daily basis who are living in poverty that don't know where their next meal is coming from at sometimes. That don't have the money to pay their bills. They live in fear. And I always tell them, you know what, but you're still living somehow. You're still living because the people of God care about you. And we're going to support you. We're not going to put a Band-Aid on it for you every month. We're going to help you by wrapping you up in an ace bandage in the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get you out of your situation, not help you live in your situation. We don't help people stay homeless. That's not our job. I'm trying to end the homeless population. I'm trying to get them out of their circumstance to receive what God has for them. Last part of verse 10 says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. It took that kind of fish miracle to make fishermen leave their boats and leave their nets, which was their livelihood, to follow Jesus to fish for men. I'm sure they were walking around saying, how big is the net going to be for men? But he left, they left their families. For a period of time to do what Jesus said. Strange but true, right? Why would Jesus have them leave their family? Listen, strange but true. It changed the world. We're still preaching about it 2,000 years later. It was important for Jesus to scare them to get their attention. That's why the miracle was so huge. He knew it was going to scare these fishermen. Even James and John. First to show them that he truly was the son of God. How many know you could be walking with Jesus and going to church and paying your tithe and serving and coming to Blue Tassel Farm and helping kids and you still don't have a relationship with Jesus? It's not about what you do for everybody else. It's about what he's done for you and how you respond. And the Bible says it's a reasonable response for us to serve him. And that's when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of these disciples were rocking around. We know one of them called Judas probably didn't have a great relationship with Jesus. But he was chosen for a purpose. And each one of us are chosen for a purpose. Each and every one of us. He needed them to buy in, to believe that he had just demonstrated the truth of what's read in Psalms chapter 8. Let me read it to you. It says, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. This is Jesus. And the sheep and the goat, and the oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and what? The fish of the sea, respond to Jesus. Little kids ask me all the time, how did all those animals come to the ark? I mean, two by two, that's a miracle. I said, it sure is. 
But the miracle is Jesus said, you and you, and you and you, and God said, you and you, and the Holy Spirit said, you and you. He speaks to his creation and his creation responds. We need to be like a bunch of animals and just respond when Jesus says go. Second, he needed them to know they did not need to be afraid. He had to scare them to show them they didn't need to be scared. He had to scare them to show them they didn't need to be afraid. It would take time for them to process this fear and put it in proper perspective so they walked with Jesus. Some never would. By verse 26, their fear grew. Some of them, between verses 1 and 25, Jesus was on a miracle frenzy, healing a leper, the paralytic, even read the minds of some Pharisees. Strange, but oh so true. Why were they so afraid? That miracle catch opened their eyes to the true power of who they were keeping company with. You see, we want to come in and praise Jesus and lift our hands and shout and say, I love you, Jesus. But do you understand the company that you're keeping today? That the Holy Spirit is with you right now. There's too many empty chairs, he says, so he's moving around to all the empty ones right now. He's moving around. You see, we need to be in such fear of God, in awe of God, that the presence of the Lord comes down and falls upon us. It's called the glory of the Lord. Do you remember the glory of the Lord coming down in the Old Testament? And it was so thick that the priest couldn't move. Nobody could get in the doors because the doors would not budge. The power and the presence of God, the glory of the Lord was so thick, dripping off the rafters, that the ministers could not minister. Because how many know when the Holy Ghost shows up like that, we don't need no preachers anymore? I don't take second seat to very many people, I'll tell you that. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm proud of it. I'm bold with it because that's what it takes to have an impact. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, I'll sit down in a second and let him have his way. Why were they so afraid? This miracle catch opened their eyes. Do we understand the true power we are keeping company with? If we do, then we know that we are here to fund a fishing expedition. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why you guys support missionaries. You're funding a, a missionary fishing expedition. Because missionaries are about going out and fishing for men. And we need the help of our brothers and sisters to do that. That's why you guys support Blue Tassel Farm. So that we can fish for men. We're fishing for little kids that don't have any dads. Yesterday I was with a bunch of kids uh, of incarcerated parents through the Angel Tree Ministry and Prison Fellowship. Gave them the time of their lives. Every one of those kids have parents in prison. Every one of those kids are, are going to grow up without mom or dad walking down the aisle with them because they're going to do time in prison. Every one of them is going to graduate high school without anybody there in the audience. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen for the kids in our community. There's going to be people in the audience. We're going to be wearing blue tassel farm hats and Jesus hats and celebrating. Do we understand who we're keeping company with. If we do, then let's get out there and do what we can do. Um, I can't pull a leper or a paralytic off the pages and heal him in front of you. But it's not because I have phobosphere. Uh, I would try it because I have a Yahweh fear of God. And if he said, lay hands on someone and anoint them with oil and tell them to walk, that's exactly what I do. I love this one church I go to and I preach. It's a little church in the inner city of Indianapolis on the east side. And it's got all the handicapped parking spaces, but one handicapped parking space has a person standing up out of the wheelchair raising their hands. 
We don't believe that anymore. We don't believe God can heal today like that. He's a supernatural God. Phobos fear drowns your God-given generous spirit to serve and give. My pastor taught me a long time ago. You give with your time, your talent, and your treasure. That is your purpose. I want to tell you what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes. At the very end, it talks about, I have one duty. It's called the whole duty of man. And that is to fear God and follow his commandments. I always told my church, I said, listen, I'm not, it's not my duty to be the best husband. It's not my duty to be the best father or grandfather. It's not even my best duty to be your best pastor. My whole duty is to fear God and follow his commandments. And then guess what? I'll be the best dad. I'll be the best father. I'll be the best grandfather. I'll be the best pastor. But we first put God in his place. And we keep him there and we serve him first. See, its roots are dripping in deception and doubt, this, this uh, Phobos fear. But Yahweh fear brings freedom, faith, and fanaticism. You're lucky I didn't bring my tailgating for God message because I'd have pulled a pickup truck right in here and cooked a burger while I was preaching. That's what I do. Because I'm a fanatic for God. If people are going to do it at the Colts game, I'm going to do it where I preach. If your doors are big enough, we'll, we'll set that up. See, he says, cast your net. Don't worry about the rest. We have a little saying on the farm that says, don't worry about the horse, just load the wagon. The horse has his job, the horse is ready. Stop worrying about the horse and do your part and load the wagon. See, when you understand this, you will find yourself at the highest point of spiritual elevation. I want to give you this quote before I close with the song. I want to tell you a little story. And I want you to get this because we are to be sacrificial beings. Because we are led by example by a sacrificial God who gave his only son, who held himself on the cross. Those nails didn't hold him on the cross. He stayed on the cross sacrificially for us. And I want you to get this quote. This is something God put in my spirit. Sacrifice is only true sacrifice when you realize the power of its privilege. Let me say it again. Sacrifice is only true sacrifice when you realize the power of the privilege it is to sacrifice. That's when you truly sacrifice something that you've been privileged by God to give up something. I told you I was born in 1963 and I was saved in 1983. I was in a bad accident that took most of my vision. I still drive a car. I wear special bioptic glasses to do that. I told you I was in an accident where we flipped a truck and landed in a lake. 38 years later, a few years ago, I was driving back from southwest Indiana preaching, heading to Hope for Heritage Days, and the axle on my Ford Explorer broke. I was doing 70 miles an hour. It broke. I flipped six times and landed upside down in my seatbelt on the side of the road. A little bit dazed, but not a scratch. The fellow behind me said, you flipped no less than six times. The car was mangled. I crawled out of the passenger side. Now I gotta tell you this, I have one little bump on my head. It's when I hit my seatbelt button and I hit the top of the car and I had a little bump on my head, a little scratch, that's it. I walked up top and people began to stop and the police officer showed up and they said, man, there's no way he survived that. They're talking to me. 
standing right beside him. I said, yeah, I think he did. I think he did. Strange, but true. I flipped a truck three times as a freshman. 38 years later, six times. I'm going for nine next time around. I don't, I'm not just, I need to get my spin on a little bit better, I guess. But I want to share with you this song. God's allowed me to write over a hundred songs. And I use these songs with the kids around the campfire and we talk about real things. We take them on a hayride to the graveyard. And we take them to the graveyard and they all have flashlights and we point to the stones and I said, somebody tell me how many dead people are in there. And they'll say 50, 60, 100. I said, no, they're all dead. But before they died, they had to make a choice, up or down. And you're all going to die. I say this to six, seven, eight-year-old kids. Because they need to hear the truth. They're not hearing it anywhere else. We're all going to die. We're all going to go up or down. Which way do you want to go? And we lead people to Christ at a graveyard. We say it to the homeless. We say it to the women rescued from sex trafficking. They give their lives to Christ. We rush them down the Muscatatug River and we baptize them. They come out screaming the blood of Jesus. Then they go to the gun range and start firing at somebody's face. I'm not sure what face they got on the target. But they are taking out their aggressions. And thanking Jesus at the same time. So I was sitting at our lake the other day in this old rickety dock that we have. And I began to think about all the things God's done for me. And I just told you a few little stories. And there's many more. Many more. The miraculous, the strange but true things God's done in my life. Which is why he gave me this message to preach. If you were listening, you'll hear some things in this song that'll make sense to you. Sitting here in this old rickety dock Time's flying by with every tickety talk I'm thinking about what the Lord has done for me He calms the water so I wet my line Thinking about each and every time He came down and saved my behind And now I'm free And I know that he's the one who's watching over me. Saved me from myself back in 83. Taught me how to be the man, the man I want to be. Yeah, he's been having my back since 1963. He was there when I flipped that truck. I tell the story people say it was luck. Till I tell him how it happened twice to me. Heading north on I-65. My axle broke and I just said goodbye. Till I felt his hand cradled under me. And I know that he's the one who's watching over me. Saved me from myself back in 83. Taught me how to be the man, the man I want to be. Yeah, he's been having my back since 1963. They said there's no way he could be alive till I crawled out of that passenger side. Climbed up the bank with barely a scratch on me. Just a scar to remind me 
that I know that he's the one who's watching over me. Saved me from myself back in 83 and taught me how to be the man, man I want to be. Yeah, he's been having my back since 110563. Watching over me since 1963. Let me pray.